you don't have to push yourself or kill yourself. Um, that's not what training is about during pregnancy. It's about feeling good and feeling confident in your body and gaining that trust in different movements, different planes of motions with different energy systems. And yeah, kind of just having that conversation with your body. And, you know, it's a beautiful time to embrace that feminine energy. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. That is the story of human progress. One inch at a time. I'm your host, Joe DiStefano, and you're listening to Stack. Today's episode, I sit with Lindsay K. Matthews. Lindsay is a doctor of chiropractic, a birth doula, an NLP practitioner, a strength and conditioning coach, and the founder of BirthFit. And on today's show, Lindsay and I dive deep into how to prepare the female body for pregnancy, including some specifics around the types of training that BirthFit focuses on during each trimester of pregnancy as well as some very important, almost always overlooked and always underappreciated areas of recovery and restoration for the body that women need to know about and hear before diving back into physical activity after giving birth. As has been a streak lately on Stacked, Lindsay and I tackle a lot about breathing on this show. And this is just sort of reinforcing how core breathing really is to your core and by your core i could also say your stack which is part of the reason this show is called stacked your diaphragm and that postural stack that i talk about maximizing with exercises like goblet squats and get-ups and carries is inevitably going to be highly disrupted during the nine months of pregnancy And Lindsay dives into some of the exact exercises you can use to repair it and to prep it before pregnancy to make your life easier later. And we'll link in the show notes to uh, all sorts of videos and things that she's got floating around and maybe I've got floating around the web uh, over at CoachJoeDI.com. This is episode, I believe it's 79. (laughs) But hey, back to breath. It's uh, been amazing for me to talk about so much breath lately. And hopefully you guys, as my subscribers and listeners, are beginning to really see over these last few episodes from Patrick McEwan to Lois Laney and now Lindsay Matthews, that everyone has this incredible appreciation for the power of breath. But many are coming at it from different positions, different approaches, and using it differently depending on the area that they are uh, focused on. So Lindsay's using breath to maximize diaphragm function and increase intra-abdominal pressure. Lois Laney is kind of helping you control your cranial nerves and kind of get out of fight or flight. Patrick McEwan is happening, helping you with asthma and, and just to how to maximize the relationship between CO2 and oxygen inside the body to increase performance and improve longevity and health. It's just so amazing how um, like cool this tool is that we all have at our disposal, and I hope you guys are really gleaning a lot of this from these episodes. Needless to say, any mom, future mom, and of course, any soon-to-be mom are really, really going to dig today's show, and dads, don't worry. There's plenty here for you too, so stick around. As always, I appreciate your listens, subscribes, rating, reviews, and shares of this show around your social media channels. 
In fact, we're now beginning a giveaway. It's $150 to Kettlebell Kings, uh, the same giveaway that I've been running for quite some time now for reviews of this show. We're now tossing that into the social media world by giving away $150 every month to Kettlebell Kings for people that share this show. For all of the details, just head on over to CoachJodii.com and check any page, uh, any podcast page. Uh, but I believe all you have to do is share it on your social media channel and tag at CoachJodii to be entered to win. And finally, before we embark on this show with Lindsay, I would love to tell you guys about the number one mineral to fight stress and fatigue, magnesium. But not just any magnesium. The only one I recommend these days after years of trial and error is Magnesium Breakthrough. I love it because it combines all seven essential forms of magnesium into one convenient supplement. And because most magnesium supplements fail miserably because they're either synthetic forms of magnesium or they're not full spectrum. When you actually get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep, your pain and inflammation are reduced, and of course, you feel less stress in your day-to-day life. That is why Magnesium Breakthrough is different because it combines all seven of these essential forms of magnesium into one convenient supplement and allows you to reverse magnesium deficiency, which is rampant right now uh, due to the soil depletion, which I talk, talk about a lot on the podcast with uh, Wade Lightheart, which we can link to over in the show notes. But you can reverse all of this magnesium deficiency in all its forms with one capsule. And right now, during the entire month of November, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough by Optimizers are running their Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals until November 30th. This is for sure the best time of the year to buy uh, for some incredible deals uh, on select products. You can get free shipping. You can get up to 40% off. They're even giving away free bottles of Masszymes, which is their digestive enzymes and some of their probiotic products and digestive support aids with select orders. You're not going to find this deal just anywhere, though. It's actually not even on their official website. It is only available through the special link, which is bioptimizers.com slash stacked. That is B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash stacked and use code STACKED10 for even greater savings. Uh, For the fastest shipping and access to the free products, though, you've got to order by November 30th. So head on over to buyoptimizers.com slash stacked. And of course, if you are pregnant or may become pregnant, please consult your doctor before adding any new supplements or making any nutritional changes to your program. And all right, guys, that's about it. Let us jump into this amazing show with Miss Lindsay K. Matthews. I'm excited to chat with you. And I would like to kind of get an understanding of, you know, what, what the motivation for birth fit was, and then like dive into female training kind of in general, but definitely, and I've been the witness to a lot of this, obviously over the last uh, year and a half, um, kind of the journey the female body goes through and, and kind of what, women can kind of do preconception first, second, third trimester and, and postpartum to kind of 
maximally take care of their body because the last thing I'll say is our baby is six months old and, you know, we call him moose for a reason. He's, you know, he was 10 kilos at his five month appointment. And like, it just takes a toll on mom, you know, mom doesn't weigh very much and she's carrying him around. And, and Lindsay, you're the person that knows how to get these ladies fit for this kind of job. So, so let's like dive in here and, and kind of explore where, where birth fit came from, where it's going, what it, and, and what women can do to kind of keep themselves healthy and sane while they're, where they're going yeah. through this incredible journey. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to share. And you know what I realize, and I'm sure you realize also is like the more, you know, the more you don't know. And so just to like start with that, I think the female body is one of the most amazing, resilient, adaptable things that we will ever witness and observe. And I'm in awe of the female body more and more every day. And, you know, I consider myself lucky to have been born into this female body because I get to experience it and all its messiness and obstacles and beauty. But, um, yeah, I'll take it back to kind of the origins of birth fit and feel free to, like, jump in. I love tangents, but, um, yeah, I'll take it back to the origins. And... You know, I went to Los Angeles to go to chiropractic school. That was my original um, intention to leave Texas. I was born and raised in Texas. I went to undergrad at Texas A&M, believe it or not. And uh, I was on track to go to medical school. And I went to study. It was a study abroad program opportunity, but basically it was a medical mission trip in um, Tanzania, Africa. And I did that for a semester. And, you know, long story short, I realized that I couldn't heal the world with um, medicine. <laughs> and that was my, my big awakening there. And, um, you know, to even back it up a step further, I wanted to go to med school to become an orthopedic surgeon because I had a great experience with an orthopedic surgeon in high school. Uh, when I tore my ACL and blew out my knee. And he was, you know, very, looking back now, he was really progressive. Um, he made me start prehab before surgery, like six weeks before surgery, and made me go to a Cairo, made me go to a Rolfer, um, encouraged me to try any kind of alternative therapy. And so that was kind of my first exposure to alternative therapies. But he made such an impact on my life that I was like, okay, med school, orthopedic surgeon, we're dialed. But then I got to this experience in Africa and I realized, oh, okay, we're going to, I need to pivot my whole life. Um, so long story short, I came back and waited tables in New Braunfels until I figured out my life and then saved 10 grand and moved to Los Angeles to go to chiropractic school. And um, for those that are listening or you know, on the other end of this, they know that 10 grand does not go very far in Los Angeles. Um, and so that was, I was, you know, a big a little fish in a big pond figuring out my life. But I went to LA, did chiropractic school, and I was still kind of on the route of sports rehab and sports medicine. But I kept getting pulled into, um, I'll call it even the more pure 
or the more um, like the straight chiropractic philosophy of, you know, connecting with the nervous system and the power that made the body can heal the body. Um, you know, the power, the body can do its thing, you know, if it has no interference and that, you know, some of that philosophy really resonated with me. And um, I would say that's kind of where my, my healthcare or my wellness foundation started was in chiropractic school. And when I was um, exposed to the chiro philosophy, the 33 principles, and just digging into some of the green books there. And so after chiro school, um, I got a job working in um, the, the sports rehab world, but more specifically Hollywood and the industry and getting people ready for their big event, whether it be like a sports competition, like a soccer game, a basketball game, or the Olympics, um, or them jumping through a window on set, uh, running alongside a train, falling, getting back up, whatever. And so I got really, I don't want to say good, but like experienced in, okay, let's prepare for this trauma that we know that's going to happen to the body. And it's not bad. It's not negative. It's, you know, it's, it's just what it is. It's part of the job. Um, and then rehabbing from that and being able to do it again and again and again. And for instance, like if you're on set and you're, um, you know, jumping through a window, like I'm recalling this, <laughs> this experience in my mind right now, but sometimes you got to do it like eight to 10, 12 times. And, you know, you'll, you'll bruise a shoulder, you'll cut, you know, fingers, you'll, you'll mess up your body. It's a given, you know, but how, how can we minimize that? How can we make it efficient and go from there? And so I think, you know, I had that chapter of my journey to prepare me for birth fit. And, um, you know, I was traveling a lot and basically not in Los Angeles, but for like two to four weeks at a time, um, right after chiropractic school. And I realized like, I love this, but I, I'm not like passionate about this particular job. And so when I came back, there was a client of mine that came to me and wanted to get, and she used the words like the phrase, I want to get um, birth fit or pregnancy ready, or, you know, I want to be in the best shape of my life in order to conceive and, you know, have this baby during the off season of our TV show and then efficiently go from there. And I was like, dang, that's pretty smart. Like <laughs> the light bulbs went off in my head. I was like, at that time, I was just like standard American. Like I, the only birth things I'd seen on TV had been on TV or movies. And I'd kind of written off birth for myself because, you know, I equated it to the hospital setting. And I grew up with asthma really bad. And um, there was a time where I was in ICU and almost died. And, you know, since then, I was like, I want nothing to do with hospitals. So if if you got to give birth and that's a hospital thing, count me out. Um, and so she was like the, the, the igniter to my, my flame. And so I was like, okay, we can, I, I'm here to help you. She already trusted me. We had worked together for a while. And um, I was like, let me be honest. I don't know anything about birth, but I can start 
you know, digging down the rabbit hole of pregnancy and postpartum. And this was probably around 2011-ish, 2010-ish, like the end of 2010. And, um, you know, I started at this time, I started taking, um, there's a chiropractic diplomat course, which is a pregnancy and pediatrics course. And it's one week in a year for about a year and a half. And I started doing that. And then I started doing doula training and I basically did any kind of training that had the words pregnancy or birth or postpartum on it. And I had some really cool experiences. I mean, my eyes were freaking, they were opened and um, my eyes were opened. My heart was opened and I was like blown away that there was this whole other world, this birth world that existed that I felt like I didn't know. And so if I didn't know, and I'm just, you know, the average female living in America, if I didn't know, then for sure, nobody like other people didn't know. Um, and so that's where the blog started, the birth fit blog. And, um, you know, I, Call it, called it birth fit. Like I was doodling around and birth fit made the most sense to me because you're fit in all capacities for birth, mind, body, and soul. And um, I just started as a blog and I started working with women as a doula and then as um, their personal trainer. And um, I was in the chiropractic office. So I was like trying to wear all these different hats in separate categories and then I was like, wait, all this needs to come under the birth fit umbrella. And so that's kind of where it was born. And um, it was 2011. I officially made the business in 2013. And um, it's funny because I look back now and I remember this client. And after doing a bit of research and she was pregnant by then, and I said, you know, I think the most efficient way for you to give birth and then get back to work and like not miss a beat is to have this baby unmedicated um, with a midwife. And, you know, at that time, I'm just talking out of my ass, really. Like, I'm like, you know, ignorant, naive. (laughs) And so so is she. And she's like, great, let's do it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, How do we do this? (laughs) So, Luckily, we found a midwife for her in LA that's been around forever. And she guided the whole process. And, you know, that was one of my biggest learning experiences. And, um, you know, I, for both me and my client, I'm like, thank God we were so like naive. We just went into it with a big old open heart. And we're like, oh my God, everything, you know, it was amazing. But um, it's, uh, it's funny looking back now because there's no fear involved. We just went with, you know, what we thought was the the right thing to do for her. And, you know, thank God for that midwife. But um, yeah, it's, it's been fun and challenging to watch as uh, birth. It's kind of um, grown and uh, you know, I want to say like added more depth, added more layers over the year years. And even this year, you know, the, the, uh, I call it the COVID blessing, but, um, we've reevaluated the whole business and gotten really clear on, you know, okay, what is it that we want to do for women, mothers, people in that parenthood, motherhood transition. And I call it the motherhood transition because basically from about 
three months to conception or even conception and then throughout the first year postpartum, that's, you know, a big opportunity, a big window of opportunity for um, mom as far as healing and getting in touch with her body and kind of embracing the transition. And then also for the new human that's coming Earthside, you know, this is the biggest window for um, kind of imprinting and neuroplasticity and development and, you know, just overall influence of our health for the rest of our life. And when I started kind of uncovering that research, in my in my opinion, I was like, why are we not talking about this? Because, you know, A, we spend, you know, as a country, we spend $98 billion a year on birth, and we still have a one in three cesarean rate. And then, you know, we're, and you know this, like we are a sick country, like there's so much chronic disease and even, um, you know, childhood disease and things like autism and ADHD and all that stuff is, you know, at an all time high, it's like not getting lower. And so for me, you know, it was just kind of obvious to look at, you know, I wanted to look at, okay, where do we go if like we are looking at the problem? And for me, like, okay, chronic disease, um, the autism spectrum disorder, things like that. Okay. What's the source of that? And I kept going further and further back and it led me to birth and everything that happens around the birth window. And so the motherhood transition. Um, and I was like, why are we, you know, interfering or throwing in obstacles um, more and more when it's leading to, or, you know, the numbers aren't decreasing in any department. And so I was just like, this is, this is obvious for me. We got to pay attention to birth. And so, you know, the easiest thing for people to kind of wrap their heads around is movement. And once you start to gain um, trust and I don't want to say comfort, but um, trust in your body that transfers over into, you know, all kinds of daily life and decision making. And so that's where that's where we jump in is like, okay, let's start cultivating this trust and embodiment practice. And then that's going to transfer to other aspects of life into parenthood, and especially birth. So that's kind of where we're at. And I know I just like talked for 20 minutes, but um, yeah, our fitness programs, our general strength and conditioning, and they lay a foundation and we can get into that in a bit too. But, you know, we take uh, into consideration conception, first trimester, second trimester, third, and even we call it like, you know, if you're in the athletic world and deloading and then um, rehab and rebuilding in that year postpartum and you know within all of our programs you'll see mindset stuff you'll see birth education stuff and then yeah it's a it's a I like to say it's a whole like mind body soul experience <laughs> it but, sure is um <laughs> that's where I, that's a lot I, there. oh I I I mean Holy smokes. I am in, uh, I don't know which way to take this now, but I, I think know. that some of the, some of the, you just said so much amazing 
you know, so many amazing things. So, uh, one thing that kind of stood out to me and now I've got two pages of notes, but the, the power that made the body can heal the body. I think that is just like such a wonderful quote and sort of mantra to, to live with because, uh, I think we underestimate that. Now, is that, is that something from chiropractic? Uh, yeah. the power that made the body that he, cause I've, I've never heard that. I mean, I've heard, maybe I've heard it from like spiritual yeah. teachers and things like that, but, um, but never from more of a conventional. Yeah. It's training. a Palmer quote and, um, the Palmers, I always, and the people are going to like the chiropractic world is going to be like Lindsay. Um, but BJ Palmer said that quote and his dad, Didi Palmer, was basically the founder of chiropractic. And I hope I got that correct because I always get the initials mixed up. But yeah, Dee Dee Palmer was the founder of chiropractic. And then his son said that quote there. All right. But yeah, I think that, I think that, you know, we'll have to do a second episode maybe. And, and I really like, you know, I want to get into uh, kind of the mother's physical body because I think that's where it begins in many ways. Like when I, just from my own experience over the last like year and a half, like, you know, mom's relationship with her own body and, you know, the gym and sort of Mm -hmm. physical movement and physical performance or, you know, just uh, some sort of mind body practice, whether it's, you know, back squats or yoga or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that that transcends a lot of other areas, you know, and this is what we saw in, you know, uh, you know, kind of one of the big things that I just had a podcast about CrossFit. And it's like one of the things that CrossFit did maybe better than anything before it was like it got people to take the gym home with them and, and it became the reason they ate better it became the yeah. you know the the new group of friends they hung out with and so i think the physical um preparation for birth is like a really strong anchor but i definitely don't want to like gloss over the sort of more mental emotional stuff and also you know the the not only rising rates of autism and some of these other kind of problems but they're they're off the charts i think i yeah. i just heard like 1 in 20 boys in uh, yeah. I think it's like tri-state area is yeah. now autistic and it's just yeah, on we, the spectrum on the spectrum. It's like, we gotta, we gotta uh. get to the bottom of this. And, and then I, the last thing I'll say, Lindsay, and then I'm going to like, just <laughs> open the floor for you. Just take it as long as you want. The, um, the interventions, the one in three cesarean and, and talk about jumping into the deep end, your story with the doula there, the, you know, Hey, why don't you just do it at home? But, but, but on the same token, the beautiful thing about that is, you know, we've been doing this, you know, as modern humans for 2.6 million years and, you know, hospitals just got shacked up, you know, rather, rather recently. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's that, you know, force inside of us, the power that made the body can heal the body, the power that made the body can, can have babies and make babies and, and push out babies and catch babies. And, you know, that was one of the biggest things that I took from our birth prep was my role is Mm -hmm. to, was to basically, um, number one, like stay out of the way and do no harm. And, and number two, like, you know, just awe in the amazing 
kind of thing that's happening here and support yeah. M any way I can. But I think, you know, men always want to be the fixer and like, you know, kind yeah. of like get, in, get involved. But it's like during birth, it's like if you've got a role to play, great. But otherwise, just stand there, hold her hand, look into her eyes, tell her it's okay and be there. Yeah. Just it was, a, it was a funny thing. But okay, so let's go into, um, you know, whatever you want. But definitely, <laughs> I want to kind of dive into those layers you mentioned about birth fit with yeah you know, some of the physical body stuff and, and maybe like some of the big aha moments when you were doing all those rounds of, you know, you mentioned like going through every program that was, you know, uh, pregnancy and, and whatever else, like what were some of the big ahas from yeah, that, yeah. that maybe like impacted and maybe that's a good place to kind of dive off. Yeah. from. Well, I'll start with, um, you know, we're fortunate a, to have access to medical care and, I want to put that disclaimer out because there's a time and a place for it, but I do believe we abuse the access to Western medicine and we've gone down this rabbit hole of, you know, intervention after intervention after intervention. And like you were saying, we've been doing this for millions of years and it's worked so far (laughs) or we would not be here. And, um, you know, there's a great author that I stumbled upon early, early on in my journey, and his name is Dr. Michelle Odant, and he's a French OB-GYN and has done a ton of research. And I believe his research um, website is called the Primal Database or something along the lines of that. But he talks about the critical period, and that's, you know, very similar to the time frame that I call the motherhood transition. But whenever I learned about the critical period for humans, and, you know, specifically, this is the most influential time on our nervous system, um, you know, I was, I was blown away that we weren't taking this research into account or that it was just being overlooked. And, um, you know, he was, he states that, you know, in order for a species to survive and evolve, we've got to have a less than, you know, cesarean rate than what we have now, somewhere around 10%, maybe 15%. And um, basically, the higher the cesarean rate, the more that that species or that society or whatever, they're selecting against themselves over time. And that just made so much sense to me. And, you know, I love science because I'm a biology major and I was, you know, geeked out on that. But I'm also very, and I say this sometimes, I'm very spiritual. And, you know, there's too many magic things that happen in this world for it just to be science, you know. Um, So I kind of like to uh, dance the line of both. But, um, Yeah, he's a great, great resource for anybody that wants to dive into his stuff. And his books are phenomenal. So I would start there and I would say, you know, I'm grateful that we have access to Western medicine, but like it doesn't need to be abused at the rate it's being abused these today. And I think we got to this place because because of media and, um, you know, the priority that media puts on um, instant fixes and and media marketing. I'll say those two words together, instant fixes, instant dinners, instant gratification, and all the aesthetics. And, um, you know, takes the power away from the individual and puts it into something like an iPhone or, um, 
you know, um, a, a pill or something, something external. And I think when we were much more spiritual or religious or we had, you know, faith in something else as a society, you know, right now I would say, you know, our society kind of lacks spirituality as a whole. But um, when we had that deep faith, we also had that trust in our bodies. And I, I know it with myself, you know. I have a practice, a spiritual practice every morning. And, you know, if I'm not on my routines and rituals, then I definitely um, fall off or, you know, do things that may not be so optimal for my overall wellness and health because we're human. Um, but I think the um, what I started realizing, as going back to your question, was that the power was taken from outside the body and given to external gods like medicine or sharp and shiny objects. And that's just, that was a big realization for me. And looking back, you know, even getting a bit more personal, I started BirthFit to, you know, like I said, to um, answer the question of like, the sickness and the health and going back to the source, but like real, like looking back now, I realize, okay, it's not for any of that. It's for, to give the power back to the mother and um, to allow her her that space to love herself through all these transitions and chapters in her life and to basically embrace the transition at its fullest. And, you know, I saw my own mom and other women in my family lose themselves basically when they would have kids. And um, that's, that's, that's no fun because when you lose yourself, you don't love yourself anymore. And, you know, that's when you start to make decisions that are out of alignment with your values and your desires and your intentions. And then before you know it, you're down this rabbit hole of shame and regret. And you're like, how do I get back to the person I was? Um, and so those were kind of some of the big realizations. And going back to the body, the the other big realization that just like hit me like a dang light bulb was, you know, there was no postpartum standard of care in our country. There still isn't. But this was probably 2011. And I was sitting at a retreat in like outside of Ojai and I had just done this sweat lodge and I was just, we had talked about even this, this retreat, which was amazing. We had talked about postpartum and it was a very small section of it. And nothing about rehab or rebuilding. It was just more like lie in for 30 days, 40 days, that sort of thing, because that's what cultures around the world do. But there's no specifics. And so for me, this was like a light bulb that went off because if I relate it to my ACL surgery, my all the ligaments in my knee that I blew out and then surgery, I knew exactly what I was doing three hours after surgery and then three weeks after surgery and six weeks. And, you know, basically the whole year I had a plan, but there's nothing like that for postpartum in our country. And especially, you know, vaginal or cesarean birth, either one of those, but especially cesarean, which is one of the biggest abdominal surgeries ever. And 
we just simply say, all right, hey, we'll see you in six weeks at your six-week postpartum checkup. And at that time, women are cleared for sex and exercise. And majority will, you know, they're like, okay, I got cleared. So I'm going to go go for a little jog. Or, all right, I'm going to try to have sex with my husband again. And then the on the other side, there's, okay, pain with sex, or it doesn't feel great, or bleeding was increased, or sex is the last thing on her mind. So she kind of like avoids it subconsciously. And then her partners, like, then they start to have this weird dynamic in their partnership. But then on the running side of things, like the first thing you do after birth is run. That's very dynamic. That's a lot of impact on the pelvic floor. And, you know, I've heard tons of stories about um, women going out and they're like, yeah, I was cleared. So I went out for like, you know, nothing crazy, like a two mile jog. And I came back and I had blood all over my pants. And it's because they haven't laid a foundation of breath and, you know, functional movement. And so that just blew my mind that there was not any sort of postpartum rehab or protocol in my mind. But, you know, I was naive and of course I didn't know. And so that's where one of the first or the very first class I started for BirthFit in Venice was the BirthFit postpartum series. And um, many of the BirthFit leaders and coaches teach this around the U.S., but it's a four-week, twice-a-week class in which we basically um, go through certain steps or rehab protocols within the entire class sequence. And then it's also coupled with some mindset and discussion exercises. But yeah, we start with breath and then we start moving with our breath and creating, you know, stability with that. And then, you know, I'm trying to think of the timeline and we'll get, we can discuss this specifically, but we don't let anybody run, jump, do anything dynamic, at least until around um, the eight to 12 week mark postpartum. And so if you think about that, that's like almost three months. <laughs> so, which is crazy for people to think about. And they're like, wait, I was cleared at six weeks. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense because nobody, A, has checked out your breathing patterns. Nobody's checked out your whole vagina situation. Nobody's asked you about bleeding, none of that. And then, okay, you run and jump back into a CrossFit class or you go out for uh, an easy jog. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And so that's, that's where all the birth fit rehab and classes were started was just my, my amazement that there was nothing like that in our country. So yeah, those were, those were the big things. (laughs) No, that's so awesome. This is like one of my funnest podcasts. Um, (laughs) So so I love all this. Now, do you want to dive into um, some of the, so if there are women listening or, or maybe mm-hmm. some guys that, you know, uh, have, have maybe some pregnancy in their future with their, with their wife or whatever, um, when we look at this and, and you mentioned like, you know, a cesarean is a massively serious abdominal surgery. And I believe maybe on my podcast with Britta Bushnell, we might've talked about it a little bit and it's definitely yeah. in her book. And I know she's a mutual friend. Yeah. Um, 
But do we, where do we go? So in terms of, do we want to talk postpartum and talk about maybe some of the things that, that you do with women following a birth, or do we want to go in the direction of, here's what we need to do before you get pregnant because, you know, over the next nine months and then in the, in the, you know, six months that follow, uh, you know, your body's going to be really kind of going through a lot and healing from a lot. And here's what you need to do to kind of walk into the game ready, you know, so we can take it any way you want, but I would love to chat about some of this like pelvic floor. I mean, this is a huge Mm -hmm. topic um, and something not a lot of people are talking about. And then the interaction with breath is obviously near and dear to my heart as well. So Lindsay, just, just take it away again and, and don't let me talk again. (laughs) So you're crushing it. (laughs) I'll touch a bit on um, birth and preparing because I think people do want to hear that. And I think our culture in general is waking up to like, oh, okay, I need to to plan and prep and do the things. Um, And I'll relate it to this, like back in 2011, 2012, whenever I would take on doula clients, they would hit me up somewhere around 25 weeks, 26 weeks at the earliest. But now, you know, my my Q1 calendar has been booked for doula stuff since, you know, I would say summer of this year. And I just got two calls in the last week of people that were five and six weeks pregnant. And they're like, I know it's early, but I just want to reserve my spot on your doula calendar. And, you know, I think people are waking up to like, okay, like, I'm responsible for me. I got to make the best choices for me because they they know that, you know, that the hospital is, you know, business and it may not have their best interest at heart. Or, you know, they might think, oh, maybe I can explore where I want to give birth and, you know, explore healthcare providers from an OB-GYN to a midwife and explore birth center out of hospital or hospital births. Like those are the three options we have right now. And so what I would just say is, you know, if you're thinking about conceiving or you're already pregnant, understand that you have to decide what's best for you and your family. So the first things would be like, get clear on your values as an individual and as a partnership, and then start to think about where you feel safe and where you would feel safe giving birth, whether it's the hospital, birth center, or home birth, and then go from there and explore healthcare providers. Um, it may not be the same healthcare provider that you've had since you first had your period, and <laughs> you go to them every year for you know your well women exam. It may be somebody completely different, and that's okay. Um, but I would start to explore those options, and we get into a, some of this in our um, birth fit prenatal small group coaching. So if anybody's wants to like dive in more to birth ed and that and training in like in conjunction with each other, we get into that. But I think the, um, the, the postpartum stuff is, you know, it always, that was the biggest driver for people finding us at birth fit in the beginning. And I think it still is. Like people are like, okay, what's up? What do I need to do? But, um, you know, birth is traumatic. And like I was using that word earlier, it's not bad or it's not good. It is what it is. 
people might have a negative experience, and that's usually based on the people around and how the, the experience was navigated. But birth in general is it's a trauma to the body. And um, there's it's just like working out in the in the you know in the gym. You're causing a little bit of trauma to muscles in order to evolve them and adapt them. Um, it's trauma just like you know the Olympics. Um, when you run your race and you PR and you're freaking sore the next day. But I will say this, one of the, one of the things we like to use is like birth is the biggest athletic event of your life. And I don't say that in the most physical sense. I say it because I worked with so many athletes that were preparing for the Olympics and they would train literally mind, body, and soul. It wasn't just the physical, you know, one or two hours on the track in the morning and the afternoon, everything they did went into, okay, is this going to make me a better sprinter, a better long jumper, a better whatever. And they would, from their nutrition to the way they slept, to the shoes they wore day to day, to the stuff they read, like the, the, whatever they put into their mind. And so they literally were training mind, body, and soul. And so that's, what got me thinking, okay, why are we not training mind, body, and soul for birth, which is this enormously transformational event and affects humans for the rest of their life? And that's kind of where the intention of BirthFit started and where I wanted it to go with our fitness programs. And once you're pregnant, you're pregnant. It's not like a halfway thing. You're fully pregnant, as I'm sure women listening are like, yes, I knew that like something was different, but you're fully pregnant. And so the body changes freaking every day. It goes through an enormous amount of changes, especially in the the first trimester, all the physiology is trying to catch up and support this new being. And then, you know, toward the end of pregnancy, there's an enormous amount of growth. And I will say that, um, I, I despise the the like a bunch of the uh, global misconceptions out there. Like you're supposed to gain this amount of weight, or you're supposed to gain this amount of weight each week. Everybody gains weight differently and differently each pregnancy. Um, so that's just write that down. Um, there's no right way or wrong way, but usually, you know, starting the second trimester and throughout the end of the first or throughout the end of the pregnancy, there's a bigger amount of weight gain and mom's running out of space. And I want to like touch on this because if you're anywhere like vertical, our diaphragm is underneath our rib cage, right? Like at the bottom, more anterior. And then our rib cage ideally sits on top of our pelvis. And with a growing belly, the growing belly is growing out front and also right underneath that rib cage. And so it's, I don't say compromising, but yeah, taking up all the space. And so the diaphragm basically runs out of um, space and the range of motion of the diaphragm gets uh, shorter or less range of motion happens. And so just like I always say, just make note of that because that's important on the postpartum side of things. And so when we run out of space for our diaphragm, automatically our breathing patterns are going to change 
into, you know, something else, some sign, some sort of compensatory patterns. But the normal or the ideal way of breathing, right, is our diaphragm sits on top of our pelvis. We're breathing in and out through our nose. When we inhale, our diaphragm and our pelvic floor sit parallel to each other. And so they basically lower together and we expand 360 degrees. And as we exhale, all of this naturally returns back to neutral. There's no sucking up and in. There's no pulling your belly button to your spine. It's just that's the way it goes. We inhale, everything lowers and expands. We exhale, everything naturally returns back to neutral. Now, when we create stability, and I use the word stability because it's a lot friendlier than the old phrase I used to use, and the old phrase is task-specific intra-abdominal pressure. Um, that would scare people off. But um, when we have, or when we need the stability breath, basically we inhale and expand the same way. But now our pelvic floor and our abdominal muscles are going to meet that resistance or kind of counter-pressure the internal pressure system we have. And our, at that point, our pelvic floor and the muscles are eccentrically contracted to maintain that expansion. And, you know, if you think about it, we do this naturally. If, you know, somebody's going to come up, uh, you, you think about, okay, if I'm going to come up and punch you in the stomach, you're not going to suck your belly button into your spine. You're going to like brace. That's the natural thing to do. Or if you're going to pick up a heavy thing, we naturally like, okay, I'm going to set my set myself up for success by bracing 360 degrees round. Um, it's kind of hard for people to um, grasp the concept of breath in general or breathing patterns because it's never been actually taught. Like I don't remember a time when it was taught to me in school and, you know, we live a more sedentary life than we ever have. So getting access or correcting breathing patterns is quite frustrating. But um, I will say one of the things we teach in our programs is a birth fit core stable and dynamic. It's strong and it's movable. It can move. And I say that because we've got to be able to absorb energy and then transfer that energy elsewhere. And all movement starts from the core and goes to the extremity. And you know, this is true, even on the most like minor scale of, I'm going to pick up my baby's car seat, or I'm going to pick up the the diaper bag, you know, it might not feel that heavy right now when baby's not here and you're preparing, you're getting whatever nursery ready, you're getting the things ready. But then on the postpartum side of things, when trauma has happened to the body and everything's kind of in shock, you really got to think about these things. And um, oh, where was I going with that? The, I don't know. But um, <laughs> the, the postpartum side of things is complete trauma to the body and it's a complete reset. And it's not bad or good, but I think in our society, we, we just haven't given a beautiful window into this to say, hey, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to allow yourself time and space to reset the body. Oh, and this is where I was going with this, and this will be a great segue. But for a stable and dynamic core, you need two things. You need 
all the muscles playing the game, all the intersegmental spinal stabilizers. And that's just a fancy word or phrase for saying, like, you need the rectus abdominis, you need the transverse abdominis, you need the internal and external obliques, you need the pelvic floor, you need all the things um, to work in harmony. But you also need the task specific IAP, intra-abdominal pressure. And IAP is not bad. Like we have I don't know where this misconception came from that IAP is bad, but we have an internal pressure system and it's there for a reason to protect our spine and organs and all the important things in the middle of our body. But we've got to have those two things in order to have a strong and dynamic core. And the cool thing is um, that we start to rehab this in birth fit from you know, as soon as we can, as soon as somebody feels comfortable, you know, wanting to breathe for two to five minutes a day on the postpartum side. And that's literally the first thing or first step we do on the postpartum side is connect with our breath again, because we want to reestablish the range of motion of the the diaphragm and allow that diaphragm and pelvic floor to start to kind of dance together and work in harmony again together because everything that they just went through this trauma together and their range of motion was altered and everything was kind of just thrown up in the air. But um, it doesn't matter whether it's a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, you've got to go back to the breath. And I learned this, this really important feature a through DNS dynamic neuromuscular stabilization but also through working with athletes, um, whether it's post-surgery for a rotator cuff or, you know, an Achilles surgery or whatever, you've got to go back to breath and those innate patterns that we have as humans. And so we start there with just diaphragm breathing in the simplest position, and that's usually on our back with our knees bent or our feet supported so that literally there's no pressure anywhere else. And all we got to think about is breathing in and out through our nose. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show with Lindsay. Wanted to tell you guys about my favorite way to detox the body quickly, safely, effectively, and reliably. Something I do three or four times a year and is an absolute must for any woman considering becoming pregnant. But you got to do it long before you become pregnant. Do not detox while pregnant or if you think you're going to become pregnant in the very near future. Always work with a trained professional on this stuff. Uh, but if you're not pregnant and you don't suspect you will be for a long time or at least three to six months, I highly recommend considering a high-quality detox. Let me start by saying that most detoxes aren't really detoxes. Things like juice fast and these things are cool. You know I love fasting, but they're actually just enabling the body to do its own detoxifying uh, and maybe giving your body a break from foods that might be irritating to you. But uh, the other kind of category of detoxes are true detoxes. And the problem with most of them is that they do a great job at pushing toxins, say, out of the liver, but that's only half the battle. In fact, most of these detoxes do more recirculating of toxins than actual detoxifying. That's why there's only one product that I use for myself multiple times a year. There's one product any of my coaching clients will tell you that I push, and that is Quicksilver Scientific's Push 
catch liver detox. This is a versatile two-step cleansing protocol designed by Dr. Chris Shade, who I've had on the show now twice, that is highly safe and incredibly effective at detoxifying the body without redistribution or reabsorption. Once you take the push, you get this kind of powerful antioxidant blend that is liposomal, like all of Quicksilver's products. Uh, it's this blend with these antioxidants and, and digestive bitters and just these incredibly potent ingredients that literally push the toxins right out of your liver into the gut. Once they're there, you catch them with the binder that also comes in the detox. And once bound, those toxins are as good as eliminated from your body. This is by far the most scientifically valid and effective detox you're going to find. I stand by it 110%. And you guys can find it over at coachjoedi.com slash quicksilver. Once there, you're going to find a few other favorite of my favorite products from these guys, including vitamin D and some methyl B, essentials for pregnancy, in my opinion, uh, that you guys can look over and find descriptions of and links to, and of course, discount codes for, which I highly recommend uh, checking out and highly appreciate you guys using because it helps support this show. All right, guys, so check on out coachjodi.com slash quicksilver. Check out the Push Catch Liver Detox, and let us get back to this awesome show with Lindsay K. Matthews. You know, some of the things I'll get in this this kind of time frame is um, a lot of chest breathing, especially for new moms, because prior to that, they didn't have access to the whole cylinder that was their core, or they just developed that compensation patterns. And... Or, you know, people are not breathing into their back or their side ribs and they forget that we're 360 degrees around and, you know, we want our rib cage to expand 360 degrees, which includes the back. And one of the reasons I use the ground is because you can feel, you know, if you're breathing, you can feel your muscles of your, of the back move against the ground. Um, and so we start there and then we move to like, you know, different positions, you know, tabletop or standing and just playing with those. And all that happens, you know, within the first 30 days, just breathing. And, you know, we have a lion in program that's completely free because I want to freaking change the way of postpartum in our country. But um, that's what we start with. And then we start moving into more of um, natural human movements and milestones. And we got this idea and philosophy from developmental kinesiology, which is also taught by DNS and the Prague School of Rehab. And um, I really loved this because we as humans are, I would say, connected by movement on the most foundational scale, the most basic thing. And the Prague School of Rehab studied humans from basically movement-wise, birth until like they started walking, until humans became upright, um, bipedal, weight-bearing bipedal. And um, every human, no matter where they're at in this world, um, you know, Texas, uh, Spain, Canada, wherever, 
every human, if you lay them down on a blanket and leave them uninterrupted and keep, you know, allow them to have their own motivation, they will go through these developmental milestones, um, the same sequence. And so what I mean by that is not at the same time, but they'll go from, okay, bringing their thumbs inside their fists to outside their fists. They'll go from being able to do like a dead bug sort of thing and then to rolling over. And then they'll go from rolling over to being able to push up to their elbow or push up to their hand into this like oblique sit, maybe a shin box thing. And then they'll go into like a tripod or a tabletop. And now like they're like, oh, I can crawl a little bit. Um, But before they crawl, they got to do this like hip thrust thing in order to get their glutes firing and their posterior chain firing or awakened. And then they start crawling or grabbing things. And, you know, as they progress through this, they, they can't get to crawling without, you know, the glutes, the glutes being active or they can't get to the side stabilization or the elbow or the hand without first going through the dead bug type of movement. Um, and so all of this happens in a sequential order, no matter who it is or where we're at in this world, which I thought was really cool. And the other thing I thought was really cool was, um, the happy baby, the dead bug stuff. This is the first bit of being able to use our breath and our intra-abdominal pressure to stabilize in the sagittal plane. And um, if you think about it, like it's hard to put yourself in baby's shoes or baby's lens, but if you're lying on the ground and you're like using all of your might, all of your power, and your back's on the ground, and you're trying to move your hands or legs, you've got to learn to use that ground to stabilize your spine. So that's that's one important feature of, you know, okay, if we're doing dead bug, we're bracing it, and we're making sure the entire spine is staying connected to the ground, because that's their point of contact, that's their stability. Then when we start to roll over or go into... Um, different positions, you lose that stability or that contact with the ground. So you have to be able to stabilize yourself within space. And that's where you start to get into, um, okay, can I make this sport specific, you know, running, can I stabilize myself on one leg, but all that comes later. The, the cool thing about, um, this developmental kinesiology stuff or the sequence of it is, um, the babies were born or all babies like us as humans were born with diastasis rectus abdominis, which is the ab separation. And, you know, this is when I entered the world of birth and pregnancy and postpartum diastasis recti was a hot topic. I mean, it still is. Um, and I think mainly because it's an aesthetic thing, But I wish it was a hot topic because it reveals core dysfunction and um, more more of the stuff that's going on on the inside. But um, diastasis recti is not just limited to pregnancy or postpartum. Um, I've had many, many men with DRA, but um, it is a symptom of core dysfunction or pelvic floor dysfunction and um, or you know, in babies, just an immature core. 
And so when babies are born with this, you can see it if they're lying on their backs and you start to see kind of like a dinosaur coning down the middle of their their belly as they're starting. They're trying to stabilize. They're start. They're trying to do the thing. But um, this approximates or comes together, you know, as they go through this sequence of events. And, um, you know, that takes time. Healing takes time. It's not a one muscle group focus or do these exercises and you'll be good in two weeks. Um, it, it's breath, it's IAP, it's going through, uh, you know, certain sequence of movements and making sure breath and IAP transfers to all those basic human movements. And I would say, you know, it takes anywhere from four months to nine months um, for a baby's abs to approximate, depending on how fast or slow they move through the sequence of movements. And so that's what I took with us into the postpartum rehab for birth fit. You know, there's, there's a rhyme and a reason to the way we do the things we do. And that's one of the reasons is, um, to healing the core from the inside out. And it starts with breath and then being able to access and utilize your own internal pressure system. And then using that within developmental movements, Um, And starting in that sagittal plane with happy baby, dead bug, and then moving on into like side plank options, and then tripod and crawling and bear and on from there. And then we'll add in, um, you know, that's all in the birth at basics postpartum program, which will take people through eight weeks or, you know, two months postpartum. And so like I mentioned earlier, we don't add in dynamic things until a certain time and it's a certain time because we got to lay this foundation. And, um, you know, after people completed the birth fit basics postpartum program, then they go into the birth fit postpartum training. And this is more, you know, what people probably expect as far as training goes, but this is where we build upon the foundation we laid and, you know, think about progressive overload, but it's where we start to introduce, um, a little bit more volume and a little bit more load, but we don't introduce dynamic stuff until we've increased a little bit of volume until we've increased load. And we love tempo during this time, especially for um, joint health. And that's kind of where we start to add variety and, um, you know, I said, I, I said it starts to look a little bit more like your typical training days or what some people may be used to. But um, it is so important to establish that foundation, um, mainly because this window of opportunity, I call it, is not going to be there forever. Um, you know, the I forget totally where I heard this, but one of the super hippy dippy retreats I did, um, it might have been innate postpartum training. Um one of the cultures around the world really puts a priority on healing postpartum because it has such an impact on the woman's health later on in life. And, you know, I would see this a ton, you know, in my career as a chiropractor in LA where um, women would come to me at three, four, five years 
after having their last baby and they'd have hip pain or back pain that um, started to appear, you know, one or two years postpartum. And then I would kind of dig in, like, did you, did anybody help you rehab? Did you do it? And no, of course not. Um, And that's just the physical aspect of it. And what, you know, this, this training was cluing me in on was like, it's so much more than physical. It's going to affect the woman's health physiology, you know, at in depth, you know, throughout her life. And so I think giving yourself time and space to recalibrate, get back to the basics is, is so huge and to cuddle with baby and co-regulate with baby because that time's never going to come back. It's not going to come around twice, but yeah. Ain't that the truth? And um, yeah. no, and I, I think maybe I can I can tie a little bow on the uh, IAP stuff a little bit for mm-hmm. folks listening. And um, you know, I think we've we've jammed about DNS before, and you know, we'll link in the show notes to um, I've got a podcast with uh, Michael Rentala who yes. uh, teaches teaches a lot of the DNS courses, and of course, another one with Stu McGill that ties in a little bit to some of the task specific stuff. And we've got a second episode with Stu McGill that's coming out that's going to blow people's minds, I think. Yes. Um, yes. But. But to kind of put a bow on this a little bit, it, it's funny because I went through, I was first exposed to uh, Prague School uh, back when I was training with Eric Cressy, who we just had on the show. And he, he showed me a couple exercises and, you know, I kind of did some investigation and, and I started to attend DNS classes and all this. And, and essentially... The kind of the kind of like you know summary um, of this program. I think what you're saying is is essentially that you know there are these developmental milestones that that babies go through. And now I'll asterisk this. And of course, my baby is six months old. He'll be six months old this month. And you know, so I'm kind of watching these very closely because you know for the last bunch of years, you know, DNS yeah. really kind of changed my life because my body was all twisted and messed up from you know traumatic brain injury and surgery yeah. and neck stuff. And, and so it really kind of put me on the path, but, but so infants, you know, for folks listening, infants go through this very predictable set of milestones that <laughs> prepare them for upright walking. And yeah. they ensure that the, the abs and, and the core and the breath are all kind of nicely synced. And, and what happens as adults is we kind of mess ourselves up through lifestyle or whatever. And the beauty is we can go back and do exercises that more or less mimic these developmental milestones and it helps our body kind of reacquaint itself. And so Lindsay, I I believe, you know, with birth and now I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, that's like just brilliant. It's like, imagine if everyone on the planet sort of you know, falls victim to this sort of lapse where when we're five years old, our movement is amazing and the body really knows how to talk to itself. And, you know, by the time we're 25, it's like, you know, or 35 or 45, you know, the body's got some like, you know, detours in the, in the GPS and, you know, it's got to, and now imagine throwing pregnancy onto a body that already has some detours and inefficiencies. And then, after that amazing, amazing experience slash trauma, you know, not correcting what maybe could have been corrected before pregnancy, but now it's like so far down the line that intra-abdominal pressure, breath, pelvic floor, core, abs, everything is kind of, you know, dare I say a mess. And so if you haven't done it before, you absolutely have to do it after because the body isn't the same body. And the last thing 
just to kind of tie a bow on this, it's, it's amazing. And it ties into the Stu McGill stuff. It's like, you know, your core switches on a second before, you know, if you pick up a water bottle in your right hand, like your core knew about that a split second before you did it. But when the core in the core has a baby in it now, it's like, you know, you're not necessarily, you know, activating that signal. So I think you mentioned Lindsay, it's like, you got to be so careful because, you might not have the core stabilization you used to have. And mm-hmm. now a bottle of water might be the straw that broke the camel's back because you don't have the pressure you need to keep that spine safe. Totally. And especially, you know, like the, you're so capable of things and it'll come back. You'll get there. But yeah, having, I think that's hard for certain people because, um, you know, it would be extremely hard for me. And I re- relate it back to, post-surgery, you know, I could walk on two legs easy, but after surgery, there was no freaking way I tried to stand up and I'd fall down, you know? Um, and I have people that, you know, they're, they say, I can't even do 10 minutes of dishes. What happened to me? I'm like, Hey, that's normal. Like that happens. It's, it's part of the process. But I love Michael Rintalo was one of my first DNS teachers. I love that guy. He's, he's so awesome. He's such a chill dude. Um, (laughs) cool. So when you kind of dive into the more kind of conventional training, Lindsay, after the, the DNS work, which again is like, no matter who you are listening, you probably could use a couple of these DNS drills. It's, you know, uh, it's truly amazing stuff. And and even like, you know, I still do it like between sets of deadlifts or, you know, whatever. And I imagine maybe some of your programs integrate it like that. Um, what are some of the kind of exercises or sort of like high level, like, you know, uh, as, as, um, you know, uh, what are some of like the, the kind of like, you know, non-negotiables that go into a strength and conditioning program for a, um, either, either pre-birth or postpartum mom. Yeah. So, and then I definitely, can yeah. I guide you a little bit? And then I definitely yeah. want to go into like, you know, first trimester, you know, and I'm, I'm just like, you know, you're the pro on this. I'm just guessing, but like first trimester is kind of like you can do normal stuff. And, you know, second trimester, this is the ad- adjustments we make. And third trimester, we do these adjustments. I would love if we could kind of take this that direction as well, Lindsay. Cool. Yes. <laughs> yes. All of it. Um, so- <laughs> Mammoth question. <laughs> In general, our training, we have um, like, our prenatal program has about four training days a week with an active recovery day. And we encourage people, you know, if they're inside that program to do a minimum of two days or at the most, the four days with an active recovery. Um, Each of our training days start with what we call a mind body connection and then finishes with a mind body reflection. And Basically, I like to look at this, and um, I don't know how many of you have been exposed to the polyvagal theory as well, but um, like the big building blocks of birth fit would include DNS, FRC, and the polyvagal theory, um, and like the chiropractic philosophy. But um, the polyvagal theory was something start that uh, was brought to us by Stephen Porges. And you can totally geek out on him, um, look his stuff up on YouTube, read the book. It's pretty dense. And I try to just keep it super simple. But basically, 
it is uh, a theory on our nervous system. And we're designed as humans to be in this health growth or restoration state about 80% of the time and 20% of the time in this perceived threat. And, you know, as you could imagine right now, holy hell, um, there's probably a lot of people that have teetered more onto that um, perceived threat side where it's like 50% or 60% and their perception of safety or that 80% has um, gone down. And we say this because our training um, is like a polyvagal theory sandwich and it starts with the mind-body connection and the getting to know ourselves again, just in that day, in that moment, having a conversation with our body through movement, or aka the BirthFit basics. And the BirthFit basics are are movements and poses, you know, that are from kind of the DNS world and also the FRC world, which is functional range conditioning, um, because we love joint health too. But um, it's getting to know your body in that day, in that moment, and give yourself permission, like, hey, we're safe, we're here, it's it's okay to move. And if you go back to the polyvagal theory, there's um, the socialization branch, which is the most current or the latest branch of our nervous system. And then you get into the sympathetics. And then at the very bottom is the parasympathetic. And the parasympathetic is like the most primal, the oldest part of our nervous system. And so just to like reflect on these a little bit, if there's any kind of threat, our parasympathetic only knows to like shut down or parasympathetic shock. Um, if there's any kind of threat if our for our sympathetics, it's like the fight or flight. And this is more along the lines of the musculoskeletal system. And if we move up to the socialized branch, then it's the negotiation or the conversation piece of things. And so there's, you know, safe way or an ideal way that your body would like to do all, you know, live in all three branches. Um, And then there's, you know, how each of us would react within all three of those branches to um, different threats or perceptions of threats, because, you know, what's a threat to you may not be a threat to me or vice versa. But that's, you know, in a nutshell, the polyvagal theory and the, the it's kind of, it's influenced governed by the vagus nerve, which is a cranial nerve that kind of exits right around C1 or C1 vertebrae and then goes to innervate or branches off into a supra branch and an inferior branch and, you know, lots of research has been done that we can now influence kind of our autonomic nervous system through things like breath, sound, and movement, thanks to the polyvagal theory. And so that's what we do in our mind-body connection piece is like, okay, we start to connect with our breath and movement and sound. Like, you know, even some people are apprehensive about sound, but I love, you know, a big sigh or just uh, vibrate using that vibration to kind of sit in a movement, but that's what the mind-body connection piece is. It's birth at basics, starting that conversation with your body, and getting in touch with your body for today. Because every freaking day, you're going to feel different during pregnancy and postpartum. And then we start to get into a more specific warm-up, and I say specific, meaning um, we we call it movement prep or 
and with the intention of for quality. And this movement prep is usually about two rounds and it's um, focused on the lifting or the strength portion and the conditioning portion that will come up. And so we do lower extremity um, twice a week and upper extremity twice a week. And this is also big, like a big influence of um, conjugate training and strength training, which I did way back in the day. And um, I just loved that they took into account allowing for the nervous system to recover because especially if you do things like one rep maxes or, um, you know, demand a lot from your nervous system, you've got to allow it time and space to recover like minimum 36 hours. Um, so I thought about it like, okay, the pregnant body is really (laughs) kind of asking a lot of the individual every freaking day. And to, to note, there's no studies on strength training for pregnancy. There's only, um, there's a book called exercising through your pregnancy by Dr. James Clapp. And that's one of my favorite books, but it has to do all with like aerobic training and running. Um, so there's no real, like, there's nothing in the research world, very little research on strength training for women in general, but you can forget about it in pregnancy and then rehab postpartum. Um, so training, we do lower body. So let's say Monday might be, okay, let's work with squats or, you know, back squat, front squat, a loaded squat of some sort. And then Thursday may be hinging deadlifts or, um, you know, Romanian deadlifts or um, anything along those lines. And then Tuesday and Friday would be some sort of upper body push, pull, vertical, horizontal. And so we got the mind body connection piece with the birth fit basics and the movement prep. And then we get into the strength portion. And, you know, people love our, our strength portion, but they also hate it. Um, because, it's like I said, we do tempos, we do isometric stuff. It's really a lot of time under tension because that is super important for joint health and stability. And after the strength or skill portion, we get into conditioning and then we close the training day with mind body reflection. And this may be something as simple as five minutes of breathing, or it may be, um, you know, two or three of the birth fit basics movements. But it's really, okay, closing the day out with, you know, our heart rate might have gotten up, our breath rate, we might be breathing out of our mouth. We're going to close the day going back to the, the basics of breathing in and out through our nose and just kind of gratitude and thanking our body for what it's, it's given us that day. And, you know, that's kind of our template for everything. But if, like you were saying, first trimester, second, it's going to change throughout. For example, in our um, postpartum training, we start with three days a week and then gradually work up. And one of the reasons we do three days a week is because we want you to see and observe your body for at least a whole 24 hours the next day. Sure, do gentle walks or, you know, basic movements, but it's not training. And I say that in quotations. Um, but going back to first trimester and you're exactly right in the sense of like, it's basically what you've been doing before 
um, if that's a thing for you, if you're like, okay, I've been training, let's continue training. Uh, what you may feel is like fatigued, out of breath, like, holy hell, I thought I was in shape sort of deal. Um, and so once somebody comes to us and finds out or finds out they're pregnant, and I'm relating this to like the gym scene where maybe somebody's in my class or, um, you know, they're, they email me and they're like, I don't want to tell anybody yet, but this is, I'm pregnant. What we do usually is add a little bit of rest or, um, give them things to like, it's a woman may say like if they're in the gym scene and um, like with a community in class and they don't want everybody to know yet, they may just say, Oh, I have a shoulder injury or a knee injury or things like that. Like just to avoid the conversation initially. Um, but one of the things I love for the first trimester is like built in rest. And so it could be like, okay, five rounds of this with 60 to 90 seconds rest in between maybe two minutes rest, depending on how the person's feeling. Um, I also love nasal breathing during this time because it's a really good kind of governator. And I use that word a lot, but it's a really good, um, Hey, that's, if we can't nasal breathe, then, then we're going too hard or, you know, it's, it's not the time and place yet. Um, and so that's kind of the first trimester. We do, once somebody starts working with us, we do take out things like sit-ups, toes to bar, really extreme flexion, um, just so we can prevent any kind of diastasis early on. Um, but really the big intention is to support the the core health and integrity of the core for a little bit longer, as long as we can. Um, so that's like the first trimester. And then we get in the second trimester. And um, this is where we usually have to, um, especially it's dependent on the growing belly. But um, usually within the second trimester, there's a lot of growth. And if they've been using a barbell for things like cleans and snatches, any kind of Olympic lifting stuff, it's time for the barbell to go because we don't want to alter the path of the barbell, especially if they're competing and things like that. But it's a really good time if you don't love kettlebells or dumbbells or sandbags or you know equipment like that. It's a really good time to embrace those things because you're going to like, like, you know, this and other people that have worked with kettlebells and dumbbells know that you can get just as much, if not more fitness out of using kettlebells and dumbbells. Um, and basically unilateral stabilization is what we start to put our, our focus on. Um, so this is where the fun begins. Like, um, one-sided things, carries, uh, time under tension. And we also focus more on, um, like the lifts, like power lifts. So like squats, deadlifts, bench press, strict press, um, and really no more dynamic things. If somebody's like, Oh, I have to run. If, if they're running and they got good form and, you know, I've had a number of, um, women in the track world or ultra runners. I had an ultra runner that ran miles and miles up until the day she gave birth. I was like, wow. But, um, as, as long as the form is there and that's what we don't, we don't want to see is, you know, I mentioned the barbell, like, are we altering the bar path? Are we changing our running gait? 
Are we messing up, you know, rowing? Are we altering that pattern? And so when we start to alter the movement patterns to compensate for a growing belly, those movement patterns get ingrained in our subconscious and they're really hard to fix, you know, immediately on the postpartum side. And you see that just with the breathing patterns. Like it's really hard to fix a compensation pattern. It takes like a lot of intention, consistency, and discipline. And so the more we can not do that, the better. Um, So that's what I would say. Pay attention to running, rowing, um, any kind of Olympic lifting. And when the, the movement pattern starts to alter, then take it away. There's a ton of accessory and strength building stuff you can do. Um, other than those things. And so that I think that's a great yeah. lesson. Sorry to jump in. That's a oh, great lesson it. though. The, uh, you know, just like if it's a square peg in a round hole, if you're finding yourself, you know, doing an exercise kind of suboptimally or, or changing, you know, the, the, the path of the, the weight, it's just time to get a new exercise. And I think that that sort of concept applies to not only pregnant women, but, you know, people with any kind of injury, et cetera. You know, I think so much of the time when I'm doing programs and stuff for people, it's like, let's strip down the total number of exercises because you know what? We can do carries, we can do squats, and we can do presses right now. But but everything else is kind of like, you know, it's, it's two steps forward, one step back. Totally. Totally. Ugh. And I used to have this friend that, you know, at the gym in Venice where we, um, we would all work out together. He would always say pretty work. And I'm like, yeah, it's got to look <laughs> when you know a movement pattern is good and healthy. And I, I like to use the word yummy, but he would say that's pretty work. And you can see that. And when it's no longer pretty work, you know, internally or externally, then it's got to go. It's got it's got to be got to be altered for something else. Um, but yeah, that that usually happens in the second trimester. And um, I will say this, is, you know, yes, the first trimester comes with its mindset stuff and the acceptance or grieving of, you know, certain chapters or life as it was. But usually when we get to the second trimester and this this stuff starts to show up, it's kind of a big deal for um, especially first time moms where they're like, I got to let go of running or I got to let go of the barbell. It's a big, it's a big mindset trip. Um, So if that's happening to you, just allow yourself that time and space to grieve. It's okay. It's okay to be upset with that and be bummed out that you may not, you may not be running for a few months, but um, there's a ton of pose running drills you can do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so, also, I'll say a plus in the second trimesters, there's usually a burst of energy and you start to feel like, and I say quotations, your old self or um, you start to feel good in this pregnant body and embrace this. And this is a fun time, but this is also a time where, um, you know, sometimes when you're feeling so good, the axel- accidental PRs happen. And there's been a number of, um, you know, oh, I just PR'd my deadlift or my front squat and I wasn't even trying. And it's basically because, you know, it's early on in the second trimester, feeling good again, the energy's there. And, you know, the language we use, we're mindful of the language we use in our program. So it's like, um, work up to a heavy single or double today. 
and, um, you know, things along the lines of that, or find a heavy single for today. And we don't do that a lot, but it's usually, you know, once or twice a month. And, um, that's when, those are the days when it's like, oh my God, I lifted my PR or whatever. Um, so that's kind of funny and exciting, but second trimester is usually a very fun training time. And, um, I, I like it a lot towards the end of the second trimester and going into the third trimester. This is really where if we haven't embraced interval training or, um, you know, every minute on the minute EMOMs type of stuff, we definitely start to throw those in there. And we do this because contractions are anywhere from 60 to 90 seconds. And with a peak intensity of 10 to 15 seconds within that contraction window. And so a lot of our contra- or contractions, a lot of our intervals may start out um, at 30 seconds. And then, you know, after a few weeks, now the intervals are more along the lines of 90 seconds or every three minutes for 15 minutes perform this, this, and this movement. Um, and then rest the remainder of the time. Those are some examples, but um, it's basically getting in that mindset and, you know, hey, I'm going to be working for 60 to 90 seconds and it's going to be tough, but then I'm going to have rest and I'm going to use my rest and my advantage. And so then we start to focus on the rest and rest, you know, is just as important as the actual training part of things. So, okay when we come to a rest spot in our interval training, how are we resting? How quickly can we get back to that nasal breathing? How quickly can we, um, you know, calm our breath, calm our spirit and ground ourselves? Um, and so a lot of, a lot of that is, you know, being able to explore the range of motion of your nervous system within those interval trainings. Um, being able to go up regulation and then down regulation to, you know, kind of conserve energy because that's, you know, what's happening in labor. And we don't know how long labor or birth is going to be, um, you know, on average for first time moms, it's around 16 hours of active labor. And, um, you know, whenever I have a first time mom, I just tell her, expect for 24 hours of labor. They're like, what? Like, yep, just just stay with me there. If it's shorter than we lucked out. Um, and so we don't know how long labor is going to be. We don't know how, um, what positions we're going to be in. And so this is one reason why we train in all different planes of motion, not just the sagittal plane, you know, labor is a dance with, um, baby and mom. And sometimes we need to, you know, lunge laterally with our leg up on something to open up the pelvis in one way. Or sometimes we need to go more in that child's pose on a ball and do that. Other times, you know, it's, you know, standing and being supported by your partner kind of in a dancing position. But we don't know any of that. Labor is the great unknown. And, you know, basically through training and um, the the mindset exercises, we're, we're preparing for the unknown and surrendering to the unknown. Um and so, yeah, interval stuff. Then we get into uh, sometimes, and this is a big window, anywhere from like 33 weeks to 36 weeks. Moms usually hit the, the fatigue button or the fatigue wall, and they're like, okay, 
and it's noticeable. Like, okay, I'm done training. Like I'm training. I'm just here to move. And, you know, this is a different time for everybody, but, um, we just, you know, in our support session call last night, somebody was asking, Hey, is this normal? I'm 33 weeks. Like, I don't want to do the volume I was doing. Can I do two days a week? And we're like, yes, that is completely normal. Um, and that's usually like, it may, some people may describe it as nesting or, um, you know, reserving energy. Midwives like to say that, but, um, if you relate it to the sport world, we start to call it the deloading time. And basically when somebody hits this wall, we say, Hey, just show up for the mind body connection pieces. And if you feel good after that and want to train, then maybe try some strength work and see how that goes and just progress like a little bit at a time. Um, if you show up and do the mind body connection stuff and you're like, okay, over it, then go for a walk and call it a day. But, um, usually it's the, the deloading time and it's, it can happen anywhere from 33, 32. I mean, with second time moms, there was one in the group last night and she was like, yeah, I hit that wall at 30 weeks. <laughs> so it can happen as early as that time. But, um, you know, the priorities during, the deloading are to move daily, not get sedentary. We want to move daily. And, you know, one of my rules is to squat, you know, at least twice a week. And that's not squat with weight. It's just squat for range of motion. Um, you know, and there was a, this might've been Ina Mae Gaskin or somebody, you know, in the midwifery world, but she used to say 300 squats a day will prepare you for birth. But um, you don't have to do 300 squats. But squat, because that range of motion is so important. And when you're in the bottom of the squat, your um, pelvic outlet has increased, you know, by as much as 30%, depending on the individual. But, um, yeah, maintaining movement, not getting sedentary, walking. Walking is so key because that will bring nutrients and blood flow to the spine. It will help shift the pelvis back and forth. And there was one midwife in Los Angeles. This was right when I started. And she used to encourage her first time moms to walk five miles a day. And then, uh, second, third time moms, you know, two to three miles a day. Um, that's a lot of time. So in general, I tell people, hey, if you can walk a mile in the morning and the evening, that's great. And that's usually about 15, 20 minutes right there each time. Um, but walking squats and then just some birth fit basics and the deloading, especially if you're like over train, like over the training thing, you don't have to, you don't have to push yourself or kill yourself. Um, that's not what training is about during pregnancy. It's about feeling good and feeling confident in your body and gaining that trust in different movements, different planes of motions with different energy systems. And yeah, kind of just having that conversation with your body and you know it's a beautiful time to embrace that feminine energy and I will say this as we I'm, I'm sure I'm like going off on tangents but you know the the training world in general is domi dominated by the masculine energy and I love masculine energy I love it all but um, you know it's very structured very numbers one rep maxes like I was talking about and the pregnancy the prenatal 
the whole transition cause us to be more in our feminine energy. And so the structure and the numbers and things don't really vibe with that. And so a lot of training within our birth fit world is based on sensation. And how does this feel in your body? What does this feel like? Can you give me another word for pain? Because pain is a really, like, what does that discomfort feel like? Oh, well, it actually feels like stickiness. Okay, well, let's explore that a little bit more. Um, And so being able to embrace flow, like some of the sessions we have are, okay, this is a continuous work session for 40 minutes. You flow through this at your pace, be able to breathe, have a conversation, put on your favorite song, be able to sing to this. But here's the here's the work flow through it for 30, 40 minutes. Um, And I think that's a, a initially, especially in the first trimester, maybe second trimester, it's a it's a interesting transition for people to embrace, especially if they've come from, you know, the strength and conditioning or CrossFit training world, where it's focused on numbers and prescriptions and all this stuff where it's like, no, we're moving to feel good in our body. We're not moving to crush ourselves. But yeah, was that an acceptable? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Such a, such a great overview. And I, I just, you know, what I've, you know, what my, where my mind keeps going is just, I love this sort of looking at this birth as a, as an athletic event. And, um, and I think one of the things you hit that resonated with me so much back when I first, uh, was, was prepping for this is just the idea that, you know, and, and I just spent the last decade over at Spartan talking about comfort zones and preparing for the unknown, but that's the truth when it comes to birth, because you don't know if you're going to be in and out or you don't know, imagine like, you know, preparing for an athletic event. You don't know if it's a 200 meter sprint or a ultra marathon, but you know, you got to walk in the door and, and 300 squats. I think that might, that would kill me, but (laughs) Um, but I, but I know that, you know, birth was just, it was an amazing slash incredibly, uh, there's no way to train for it. So the only way to train for it is to be sort of, uh, you know, open and, and have your mind in, in a, in a place of, you know, being ready to do whatever it takes. And, and I think that, um, the other interesting thing, you know, you said a few different things, but I also, you know, one of the things about nature and mother nature, you know, for, for women, birth is this, you know, sort of rite of passage in a way, right? It is like this incredible experience of pure, sort of ancestral energy. Oh, cool. It's like women have been going through this for, for two point some odd million years. And, you know, it's interesting because I've had some shows lately talking about masculine energy and, and, you know, how guys are kind of lacking some of that rite of passage. Yeah. And when we look at like, you know, the ancient Greeks who, you know, I spent a long, long time reading into, it's like, you know, they had the agoji where men went through this incredibly painful and some didn't make it, you know, training yeah. program. And, and so it's, it's an interesting thing. And when we, where this conversation started just about sort of the interventions and things. And, and we could have another show where we talk about, you know, interventions and, and kind of controlling mm-hmm. the birth and, and maybe bring Britta on too and have a, a, yeah. a three, three way <laughs> chat. But the other thing that kind of stuck out to me and it's, it's an interesting thing and something that I could totally see couples doing together. And it's, you know, something I told Amelia that I was going to do and I, I never did it and she forgot about it. So I, you know, just, but I always said I was going to replicate your, uh, your labor on 
my assault bike on my fan bike. And, you know, so it's, it's minute intervals. And I think you said the peak is about 15 seconds long and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's every two minutes and then it's every minute. And, you know, so it's an incredible workout, but imagine like when you're doing this birth fit thing, I'd imagine like, you know, a woman could even bring her, bring her husband or significant other over and be like, Hey, let's do birth on the bike for 40 minutes and, you know, do these incredible intervals and pretend it's, uh, you know, pretend it's, uh, you know, the real thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I'll get messages occasionally from, from women that have done like a particular training day and they're like, Oh, my partner, my husband joined me and they were so surprised at how tough this was. I was like, yeah, it's training for birth. It's not, you know, just a soft exercise. It's like I said, we're not crushing ourselves, but we're intentionally training. It's why they're, they're hilarious. Um, (laughs) So yeah, here we are. Well, Lindsay, this has been super awesome. And I appreciate you sharing just so much about the BirthFit program. And, and of course people can head on over to birthfit.com, right? yeah totally um it should be an easy website to navigate now we've cleaned it up since all the covid stuff and you know all if you have any questions at all don't hesitate to reach out um you were on our podcast our last our season six of this year so we got a podcast go check coach joe out over there um (laughs) yeah lots of good stuff and um like i always tell people we're here to support you and if if we don't know the answer, we'll help you find it. Um, but yeah, birth is, you're navigating this complete unknown. And, you know, in general, our society doesn't set set you up for much success. You have to figure it out on your own. You have to figure out who you are, what your, what your kind of partnership, your values are, and what you desires and tensions are throughout the whole thing. And, um, it's a really a big call to responsibility and showing up. It's, it's, it's wild as I'm sure, you know, but, um, everybody says it's the most wonderful and difficult of times. That is the truth. Having gone through it about (laughs) six months ago, um, but, but it's, you know, we're just so lucky to have, you know, programs like BirthFit that can, you know, you've mentioned it, like, you know, confidence in your own body, ladies, is probably the biggest, you know, maybe prerequisite. And these programs like BirthFit can kind of help you achieve that. And I absolutely love, I didn't talk about it, but I love the sort of way you start and finish sessions and, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, tie in that mind-body piece because, you know, we are not like you know, we are not like these utilitarian, you know, machines. We are very, you know, spiritual beings. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when we train our physical body or, you know, we didn't even tap into nutrition and how we eat, but, you know, it's not just a calorie is a calorie and I'm going to go work out so I don't get back pain. It's so much more than that. And, and tying it all up is, is just, you know, there's no more important time in your life than birth to, to get that right. And so I'm excited to share this episode with birth fit and, and Lindsay, people can find you guys on Instagram. And of course we will link in the show notes to just about everything we chatted about, including our podcast together over at birth. But for those listening, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, everything's at BirthFit, B-I-R-T-H-F-I-T. 
our website's birthfit.com. And uh, yeah, those are the easiest places. So hit us up anywhere and, and we'll be glad. We'll be glad to chat with you. Fantastic. Lindsay, thank yeah. you so much for making the time today. It was such thank a pleasure you. chatting and, and uh, you know, I don't know when this is going live, but we'll see you soon. <laughs> I'll see you in Austin. Wink, wink. <laughs> Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. For the show notes for today's episode, head on over to coachjoedi.com and click podcast from the menu. If you'd like to leave a review, which I would absolutely appreciate on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, please do so. These mean the world to me. They help me understand what my audience is gaining from these shows that I'm pouring my heart into and ultimately helps us to reach more people because these platforms like shows that get reviews. So it helps us out so much. If you're digging the shows, this would be so great if you could just leave a review. Also, I still give away $150 every two weeks to kettlebellkings.com to somebody that reviews my show. So if you leave a review, just screenshot it and email it to hey at coachjodi.com and my team will enter you to win this $150 gift card so that you can outfit your home with a couple of kettlebells on me. Also, when you're in the show notes, you'll find links to any products that we discussed. For full transparency, some of these links do contain affiliate links. This helps me to fund these episodes, pay my staff, and ensure that I'm taking care of the people that take care of us. So I absolutely appreciate you clicking links and using codes. It helps keep this train on the tracks. All right, guys, until next week, thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate you guys subscribing and listening to this show every week. I really put a lot into them, so thank you so much. And you'll hear from me again next week. Take care.